over the course of this semester, we've been taking a, a phrase that, that maybe you're kind of sick of hearing, but we've taken this phrase, the new normal, and tried to just give it a twist that uh, makes it a little more spiritual. And we've done so on the basis of the book of Daniel, as Daniel and his friends experienced this new normal. Tonight we're in Daniel chapter 5, and we're going to talk about the writing on the wall. Are you familiar with the term foreboding? Have you heard that term before? The idea behind foreboding is this feeling that something terrible or something awful is going to happen. If you watch movies or even if you read books, you are probably well aware of this idea of foreboding. If you're a Harry Potter fan, for instance, you know that Harry has a scar on his forehead and when bad things are about to happen with he who must not be named, right, then the scar causes him pain. There's some foreboding. There's a sign that he knows something bad is going to happen. J.K. Rowling is actually very good at foreboding or using that as a literary tool. And maybe the movies are even better because you get the music to go with it, you know, when the music lets you know something bad is about to happen. But in one of the books, I believe it's the second book, The Chamber of Secrets, she even uses the idea of writing on the wall when the Chamber of Secrets is opened and a bunch of bad things are about to happen, right? It's an omen, it's foreboding. Do you know that that idea of writing on the wall actually has its origin in Daniel chapter 5 and in biblical times? There was some foreboding, there was a writing on the wall that let the king of Babylon at that time, a man by the name of Belshazzar, know that some bad things were about to happen. Let's check it out in Daniel chapter 5. I'll read the first six verses. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines, drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and he was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. Maybe it's just a product of COVID, but when I read that first verse that King Belshazzar threw a, a party for a thousand people, I thought, no, he didn't. He's not supposed to have that many people over, right, in these days. Can you imagine that, though? A party of a thousand people and they're all drinking wine together, this huge banquet that's given. And there was more to this banquet than just a little celebration. Part of this banquet was, had some religious overtones to it too, didn't it? They were praising gods of gold and silver, of, of wood and stone, and at the same time making a mockery of the God of the Jewish people. Brought into that celebration were all the relics that had been taken when the Babylonians had destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. That was on purpose. This was a calculated celebration, I suppose you could say, or anti-celebration of the true God. 
One of the things that scripture tells us is that God cannot be mocked and he brought to a halt pretty quickly. He halted this celebration in a pretty unique, amazing, and frightening way. Fingers. Fingers of a human hand appeared out of nowhere and etched a message into the plaster on the wall of the palace. We're told that the king was so frightened that his, his knees began to give way. All of the celebrating that was going on was silenced almost instantly. And instead of excitement, there was this complete fright as the king's knees knocked together. And that message, the message that was carved into the plaster on the wall, was some foreboding of things that were about to happen. Do you feel that way about 2020? Then maybe all the things that have happened in this, this day and age are, are, are this year that, that we call 2020 might be sometimes a little bit foreboding. A lot of people that I've talked to have taken the numbers 2020 and if you do a mirror image of them, it actually says so-so. People have said that maybe is a good description of the year 2020. Just think about all of the things that have gone on in this year. Yes, COVID is front and center of things that we've talked about, but think of the celebrity deaths that have happened. From Kobe Bryant to the Black Panther, Chadwick Boseman, to Regis Philbin, Eddie Van Halen, right? All of these people that have died this year and people say, what's going on? And then we have these natural disasters, the, the wildfires that have been spreading. All of the hurricanes seem to be very plentiful in today's day and age. And it makes us kind of wonder, what is going on in the world today? Why are all of these things happening? And maybe even at times we wonder this, does God know what's going on? Does God know all the things that are happening in this world or is this world sort of spinning out of control? And you know the answer to that. God knows exactly what's going on. And so we have to ask ourselves that question, why? Why would God let all of these things happen? And while I can't tell you exactly why God would let all of those things happen, is it fair to say that, that possibly what God is doing is just asking us to be reminded? He's giving us a reminder that there's more to life than just what we see here in this world? That maybe he's reminding us that you know, there's some priorities that I'd like you to have in life. And since this world is so short and it's not going to last forever, maybe our priorities need to, to change a little bit. Maybe we've gotten so comfortable with life on earth that we forget that this isn't everything that we're supposed to experience, that there's something even better. Maybe the foreboding is a good thing. Maybe it's a call for us to say, ah, there's some changes that I could make in my life. Maybe there are things that are important to me that shouldn't be as important to me as they are. You see, like King Belshazzar and all of the Babylonians, the human heart tends to be an idol factory. Maybe we don't worship gods of gold and silver and wood and stone, but people and things, pleasures of this life certainly become important to us and sometimes move God out of first place in our hearts. Maybe one of the things that we can take from the new normal is just a way to say, well, maybe in my new normal and the new normal that 2020 has ushered in, I'm going to think a little bit more about the life that is to come than the life that is here and now. As we think about that, the foreboding that, that God gave in this message on the wall, 
Nobody could solve the problem. This is a familiar thing now for us because when Nebuchadnezzar had his dreams, he looked for somebody to solve, give him the answer, and nobody could until Daniel was brought in. The same thing happens here in chapter 5. Let's see what happens when Daniel is brought in. We'll read verses 22 to 28. But you, Belshazzar, have not humbled yourself, Daniel said, though you knew all this. Instead, you have set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from his temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, and your concubines drank wine from them. You praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see or hear or understand. But you did not honor the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many, tekel, parson. And here is what these words mean. Many, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. And Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Once again, nobody could seemingly take those four words that were written in the plaster in Aramaic and make any sense out of them. And certainly that was God's doing because he wanted Daniel to come in and be the one who gave the solution. When the king was told about Daniel, and probably a couple of decades have passed since chapter 4, Daniel was up to the challenge and the trust that Daniel could solve the problem was not misplaced. He gave the exact message that was written on the wall. Four words. Many, many, tekel, parson. Kind of some layering to this riddle, I suppose you could say, that God put on the wall. Each one of those words, and many is repeated twice, is a unit of money, a measurement, a weight of money. A mina, a shekel, and a parson. But they also have other meanings, and those are the meanings that were shared by Daniel. Many, spoken twice for repetition, I suppose we could say, your days are numbered. You're not going to last very long, King Belshazzar, because you have not given glory to the only God. Weighed is what the word tekel means. You've been weighed on the scales and you've come up short. You've been found wanting. And then the last one actually has a double meaning, the idea of Perez or Parson. Not only is this kingdom going to be divided, but it's going to be given, as you can see maybe in the word, to the Persians. The Medes and the Persians were going to take over the kingdom. And as a matter of fact, the last few verses of the chapter tell us it happened that very night God acted in judgment. That very night, the kingdom was taken from King Belshazzar and he was slain. I don't know how you feel about those kind of things. I think the Old Testament sometimes is difficult to read because we see God's judgment against a king like Belshazzar and we wonder if maybe God's judgment is a little bit too harsh. I know that none of us wants to accuse God of acting unfairly because he's God and we're not, but there's a part of us that just kind of recoils at the idea that God would end a king's life in one night, doesn't it? Is it possible that it's because we also recognize that if God were truly just and holy, he would have every right to end any one of our lives? It's scary to think about, isn't it? That God knows everything about us. He knows the idolatry that is in my heart and yours. He knows the things that we chase after and it might not be the silver and gold and wood and stone, but the things that we've given more importance in our lives than God. 
Boy, God's omniscience is scary, isn't it? Just think about that. He doesn't know just everything that I've done. He doesn't know just everything that I said. Even every single thought that has ever gone across my brain is known to God. You can't escape God's notice. But that omniscience, insofar as it's scary, it's also extremely comforting. Because God knew and knows what you and I need. He knows that, that the human heart is an idol factory. He knows that we're going to fall short of the glory of God and so he did something about it. He had mercy on us. God didn't spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Yes, he offered Jesus to take your place. Jesus who never put anything ahead of his heavenly father, who never worshipped anything other than God, he did that for you and he did it for me. And then Jesus took the sins that we've committed, all of our idolatries, every other sin, and he had those sins nailed to him on the cross. That's what gives you something to look ahead to. That's what gives you something to be confident about in this life. No matter what happens, no matter how bad a year is, and I wish I could tell you that 2021 is going to be way better than 2020, but you know what? I can't because I don't know. But I know who holds next year and the year after and any other year in this world in his hands and that's the God who loved you so much that he sent his son to die for you. And so what Jesus wants for you and me as we read an account like the writing on the wall is to understand that maybe the things that happen in this life are our writing on the wall. God kind of saying to us, don't, don't forget about me. Knocking on the door of our hearts on our world and saying, I'm still here. I still have a place for you. And it's a place that's way better than anything this life has to offer, prepared for you by Jesus himself. Some takeaways from Daniel chapter 5 tonight. Number one, the troubles God allows in this world remind us that the end is coming. Jesus himself said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Then number two, we look up to Jesus and look ahead to him welcoming us home to heaven. See, this is why it's so important to fix our eyes on what is unseen. Because the things we see in this life, they're temporary. But, but not what God has waiting for us. That lasts forever. Talking about writing on the wall or foreboding, things like that, you know there are people in this world that will do anything to maybe have some good luck, some good things happen to them. Right? Maybe you know some people that, that carry a good luck charm in their pocket, maybe a lucky penny or a rabbit's foot, or they look for that four-leaf clover. Some people like the lucky horseshoe. All kinds of different things to hopefully just get ahead, to get some good fortune in this life. We don't need a good luck charm. We don't need anything other than the perfect sign, the great sign that God has already given us. The sign that guarantees you that you're loved, that guarantees you that you're forgiven. That guarantees you that you're going to live forever with your Lord in heaven. It's the empty tomb of Jesus. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is God's sign, his guarantee to you that you too will rise to live with your Lord forever. That Jesus' payment for sin is fully complete. We don't need to worry about any foreboding. We don't need to worry about any omens, anything bad that happens in this life because it's in the hands of the God who loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. And that same God is waiting for you, waiting for you in the perfect joy of heaven with him. Amen.